Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. From John 20, verses 1 to 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated there, where where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, "'Woman, why are you crying?' They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. I'm just going to pray before uh, Steve comes to speak. Father, thank you so much that even though you're so holy and so perfect, uh, you still want to have a relationship with us. Um, We thank you so much uh, for Jesus and for um, that beautiful relationship that we are able to have, Um, that we're not just servants, but we're co-heirs, that we're sons and daughters. Um, Father, we just thank you so much for the um, privilege that it is to be able to gather together, uh, to celebrate, and uh, to be just filled with joy that you um, are alive, that Jesus rose again. Uh, We thank you for Easter, and we thank you for Steve, and I pray that you would bless his message and bless us all today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wonderful. Well, great to be with you. Happy Easter to you all. It's the day that Christians really get to celebrate, isn't it? A few summers ago, we had a uh, celebration for my dad's 50th birthday, and we all went away together as a family, a wider family, for a few days. And one of these days, we went for a picnic in the park, and it was a lovely day, and we were having a lovely picnic. And then we decided to play a huge family game of hide-and-seek. Everyone was involved in hide-and-seek. Great classic game, isn't it? So everyone went off, and I can't remember who was on, but they were to find everyone. And, you know, 10, 15 minutes into a game of hide and seek everyone should be found shouldn't they you know that's how these games work well everyone was found but my lovely daughter Annabelle and no one could find her 30 minutes in still no Annabelle 45 minutes in 
Still no Annabelle. My heart is starting to beat a bit faster. So what I start to do is I have to go and run the whole length of this huge park, trying to find my daughter from there, back and forward, and I can't find her. None of us can find her. It was at least 45 minutes, and panic had started to rise in my heart as I ran back and forward through this big park, trying to find her. Anyway, she was just around the corner, up a tree, lost in her own world. Didn't realize 45 minutes had passed, and she was stressing us all out. It's panic and running that we encounter in John 20. Everyone's running. Mary's running in verse 2. Peter and John are actually trying to outrun each other, which is a funny moment in the story. It seems in verse 4. And of course they're running. Of course they're running. You would have run. They thought someone was des- had desecrated the tomb of the one they loved the most. Imagine you went to visit the grave of a a recently deceased relative and you found it all dug up. Well, you would run. Grave robbing was a big issue at the time. A few years later, the Emperor Claudius had to make it a capital offence to stamp it out in the Roman Empire. So panic and confusion is in their hearts and they're running. They're running. And what do they find when they get to the tomb? He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there. Verse 5. Then Simon Peter came behind and went straight in the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there. Verse 7. As well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in the place separate from the linen. The emphasis on the panicked running is overtaken I mean, John could have written anything, couldn't he? The resurrection. He spends three verses telling us about folded grave clothes. The panic is being overtaken by order and calm. Imagine being Peter. He's not very, in very good shape, clearly. John outruns him. So he's panting and sweating. He flusters and breathless. And in true Peter fashion, he bursts in, ready for action. What does he find? A neat pile of laundry. No violence, no chaos, no confusion, no grave robbers, just a pile of laundry. They're running around in panic, and yet everything is in order. That's the message of Easter. Jesus is risen. You can stop the panic. Everything's under control. Everything's under control. The the disciples run to the rescue, but there's nothing to rescue. Everything is under control. And by the way, we don't have time. But it's one of the big reasons when you look at the biblical, uh, the, 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 the scholars of history and ancient writings, why this couldn't have been a made-up myth. No one makes up a myth and spends three verses talking about linen. No one talks about how one person outran the other person. It's too detailed, it's too counterintuitive, and no one would have put the women as the first eyewitnesses back in the first century where they did not have a testimony in the court of law. You can read more about that in the book, about why this isn't a myth but this is true historical eyewitnesses. But are we not like Peter and John in our world today? We're often running around. We're often panicky. We're often fearful. We're often trying to solve everything. In our hearts, we can just sense there's panic. And this Easter, Jesus wants to come to us with the same message he came with those first disciples. Stop running around. Stop panicking. I've been raised from the dead. Everything is under control. There's three things Jesus does that first Easter that he wants to do with us. He wants to calm our fears, James and John, uh, uh, Peter and John. He wants to heal our hurts, 
Mary, and he wants to satisfy all our hearts. That's the message of Easter. Because Jesus has raised, our fears can be calmed, our hearts our hurts can be healed and our hearts can be satisfied. Let's talk about the calming our fears. Tim Chester, an author I like, has a little reflection on John 20 and he puts it like this. What makes you rush around in panic? Think about what fills you with fear. And then in your head, play out your worst case scenarios. Why are you fearful? What does it look like? Ultimately, Chester goes on, all our worst fears end in death. Health and safety, our despair of aging, our fear of losing relationships, they're all reflections of our underlying, a deeper fear of death. The reason we have fear at all in this world is because there's death in this world. Death is an intruder that we cannot control. It, it means that we're not, never quite able to create or sustain the life we all want. Death made, death made us all a bit panicky in the pandemic. Death is something we can try and ignore and we can maybe delay in the West because of medical science, but it's coming to us all. And you can keep running and going, it's going to be a... But in the end, it's coming, isn't it? It's the fear beneath all fears. It's why fear exists at all. But if Jesus is raised from the dead, the great enemy, the greatest fear can be calmed. My dad is coming to the end of his life. He's 77. He's had cancer. He's had a big toll taken on him as he's had the chemo and the the radio and then the hormone and he's getting old and it's all falling apart. But he can talk to me about the day he looks forward to meeting Jesus. Death has no no fear. Obviously he wants better health and he wants, but there's no fear. Each of us attempted like Peter and John to run around in panic. Why? Because we haven't understood that the grave was empty. This world may be confusing. It was for uh, Peter and John. We may still get hurt. We're going to see Mary was very hurt. Things may not go as we expect or hope. Things will often be out of our control. We can't fix it. And in the end, we will all die. But running around faster isn't going to solve that. In fact, it could add a lot of stress to your life that is needless if you're trying to fix all, if you're trying to run around faster to solve an internal restlessness and fear in your heart, running a little faster won't solve your fears, but an empty tomb will. If Jesus rose from the dead, it's all going to be okay. That's the message of Easter. But why is it all going to be okay? Well, the second thing is he's going to heal every hurt. If Peter and John are running around in panic, we read in verse 11 of Mary that Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Mary's heartbroken, and she's had a lot to break her heart in Mary's life. She had a very shady and complicated past. In Luke's Gospel, we read that she was cured of uh, seven demons were cast out of her. But she met Jesus and was transformed, and she actually became a patron of Jesus, a financial supporter, and followed him wherever he went. And then three days ago, she'd been there, and seen the guards butcher and slaughter and crucify her Lord in front of her eyes. She'd seen the sweat and the the spit and the blood mixed together on his face. She'd seen fists hit him and mockery. The one she loved was being mocked. She'd seen him stripped naked and there was bruises and cuts everywhere. She'd watched nails go into his wrist. It had been agony. They'd killed her Lord. 
in front of him. And now even the body, they've desecrated not just the Lord, but her mourning of him. She can't even mourn him. And her grief is so great. Did you notice verse 12? She doesn't even bat an eyelid at two angels. It's one of the few occasions in the Bible where people don't fall down in the presence of angels. She barely seems to notice the angels. She's so fixed on the missing body. In other words, the angels can't get through to her. The angels can't penetrate because the pain is so much. And nor initially can Jesus. Jesus can't get through to her initially. Verse 15, woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Jesus wants to meet Mary in her brokenness and, and bring healing to her heart, but her pain is too much, so she can't quite let Jesus in. That's what pain does to us. Something happened in our past, something tragic, and some, we just, Jesus, we just keep him at distance. In fact, we can't quite see him. But Jesus wants to heal her broken heart, and we read on. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, If you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Now, Jesus has a resurrection body, so he looks a bit different, but it clearly is that her grief is stopping her seeing Jesus. It doesn't enter her mind, and she thinks he's a gardener. But bizarrely, she's right. He is the gardener. The Bible starts with a garden, doesn't it? And a man and a woman in the garden. And in the garden, the gardener, had created order out of chaos. He'd created life out of darkness. He'd created light out of darkness and life from the dust. In the Garden of Eden, man and woman lived in the presence of the gardener without fear or anxiety, without shame and hiding, without striving and restlessness. So once again, Jesus, the true Adam, comes as the gardener to Mary, who represents the church, and says, all your grief, all your pain, all your confusion, all your sadness, I'm the gardener. I've come to bring order out of chaos. I'm here to heal the brokenhearted. All the reasons that you are finding life so hard, I'm here to bring healing. The resurrection says the gardener came back into our world. The one who created the original world has come back to, that created the world originally, has come back to restore it. It, the, The resurrection tells us it's not about God saving us for heaven and just our souls. He's come back to fix this actual physical world. He's starting again will have resurrection bodies. This morning, at our morning congregation, a lady was baptized. And this was how her life started. At five, her parents were divorced. At seven, her father died of suicide. At eight, she was sexually abused. At nine or ten, and ten, she was taken away to be looked after by other people because her parents weren't deemed fit enough. At 12, her sister died. And she said everything created a wall around her. She wouldn't let, she said, I, I don't want to let people in, so I let people in their heart, and she created a wall. But she went to talk about how God came, like Jesus, to Mary, and slowly, slowly worked in her heart. And at the end of her testimony, she said this, I came to understand my, that he understood my pain, talking about Jesus, the innocent sufferer and wanted to free me from it, to break the walls I'd built around my heart. Jesus wanted me to live, not just survive. By creating a barrier around myself, I was also preventing him and others from loving me. She went on to say, I want to be baptized today as a symbol of renewal of my faith, a cleansing of my past. It's a reminder that I am not the sum total of my story. Define what I have done or what has been done to me. 
I'm renewed in Jesus Christ through his love and born again by the Holy Spirit. On the first Easter morning, Mary is weeping. The pain is so great she can't even see Jesus. That's what happens in our pain. And yet if Jesus rose, one day everything sad will be untrue. Dostoevsky in his book Brothers Karamarov has a character who says this, I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for, that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage, that in the world's finale at the moment of final harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, for all the blood that has been shed, and it will make it possible not only, and it will make it not only possible to forgive but to justify all that has happened all the hurt all the pain that wish is just wishful thinking for all religions of this world for all worldviews that's just wishful thinking how do you know your hurts are going to be made up how do you know that one day there'll be healing of every crime of every hurt how do you know there's nothing in this world that can give you assurance apart from an empty tomb one day the gardener stepped back into our world And he said, I'm remaking it. And I can fix every hurt. I can heal every heart. You can stop running around in panic. You don't have to fear death. And I was an innocent sufferer too. I died on a cross and people mocked me. I can enter your pain. I can bring you through it. Jesus at Easter wants to calm your fear. Stop running around in panic. He's got it under control. He wants to heal your hurt. Stop keeping people and God at arm's length. Let him in. He knows. And he wants to satisfy your hearts. I find the next part of the story so moving. Let's read it again. He said to a woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. In one word, he remakes her whole world. In one word, he calms her fears. In one word, he heals her heart. In one word, she realizes the gardener is there to do a bit of gardening in her heart and take out the weeds and take the stony, cold heart of winter and bring a spring. In one word, what is the one word? Mary. Jesus had said earlier, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd calls his own sheep by name. And they recognize his voice. Jesus, Mary did not recognize Jesus' face, but she recognized his voice when she heard him call it. Isn't it marvelous? She couldn't see the face, the grief, but there was a voice. The good shepherd had come. The almighty creator God, the one who triumphs over the powers of darkness and death like a lion trampling down its prey. The one so powerful that the grave cannot hold him. The conqueror, the victorious lord of history. This mighty one comes to her in her tears and says, Mary. And she gets it. That's what it is to become a Christian. You you get a sense that the lord of all of history, the creator of everything, He comes and he says your name. And you hear it. You hear it in a personal way. And he says your name in a way that he doesn't say anyone else's name. He doesn't say Peter and John the same way that he says Mary. He knows Mary as Mary. He knows Peter and John as there. And he knows you as you. And he calls you 
by name. This is intimate. This is personal. You see, there's another garden in the Bible that this story looks back to, and it's a garden full of spices, like this one was full of spices, to anoint the body of Jesus. It's a garden of the Song of Songs, in which two lovers express their love and delight for each other. In this garden, we are told again, like the Garden of Eden, as the two lovers discover each other, there's no fear, no hiding, no pretense, no shame. There's intimacy, trust, and joy. The lovers complete each other. And here we see Mary is the woman who finds the one she loves amidst the spice-filled garden, and she yearns for him to embrace him. She's the first person in the history of the world to know what it's like to be with Jesus, resurrected, and she feels safe. She feels secure. She feels like the world just makes sense now. She's with Jesus. I am yours and you are mine. Here is the man that completes her. And when Jesus asks her in verse 16, who is it you are looking for? He's actually speaking to all of us. Who is it you're looking for? Who are you looking for? Growing up, we all imagine we're going to discover someone that's going to complete us. Every movie, every story that has any worth in this world, at the heart and the middle and the end, has a romance. And at the end, the romance, someone is completed by someone else. Someone satisfies. This world can be so confusing. This world can be so dark. This world can be so scary. But there's someone out there that if you discover them and find them, you'll be complete. What's going on? Why, do all the, why does Hollywood always do that? Why does every book, why, why do we think that? Our hearts are telling us something. That's true. But you'll never find it in this world. You need to discover the one that Mary discovered. He's the only one that will complete you. He's the only one that will satisfy you. He's the only one that will deal with every hurt and every fear. He's the only one that will ravish you beyond belief. You can run around, and Stephen talked about it, didn't he? Popularity. Trying to be impressive, career, relationship, success. You can run and get busy and get panicky. You can keep people out. And, but you'll never find the one you re- that will satisfy you, complete you, until you answer Jesus. When he says, who are you looking for? And you say, ah, I'm looking for the resurrected Lord of history. And in him, my heart is satisfied. And I hear him calling my name, mine. He wants to complete you. Mary did not recognize his face, but she recognized his voice, and he's calling out to you. And out of sheer delight and joy, and out of fear and trembling that she might lose him again. Did you see that in verse 17? It says, she grabs hold of him. Because he says, let go of me. (laughs) So she must have grabbed hold of him. I mean, you can imagine. She's like, I lost you once. I'm not losing you again. It's like me and Annabelle. I'm never letting you play hide and seek ever again. (laughs) I lost you once. I'll never lose you again. I'm yours and you are mine. I don't want to lose you. But Jesus isn't for keeping. Do you see that? He's not for keeping. Jesus is for sharing. And he has a job for her. Verse 17. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them. I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now these words are remarkable. Up to this time in John's Gospel, we've heard about the Father. The Father who sent me. My Father And Jesus, and it was prayed a minute ago there by Charlotte, says that the disciples were called friends and they were called servants. But what does Jesus say here? I am ascending to my Father and... He's speaking to Mary, your Father, my God. And Jesus is saying to Mary, because of my death and resurrection, you now have exactly the same status as me before the Father in heaven. 
It's my father, Mary, and it's now your father. You've been adopted. At the cross, the legal papers were signed for your adoption. Your sins were paid for. My, my righteousness was put onto you. Your sin was put onto me. You've been adopted into the family. So when the father sees you, he sees you as a child. You're not just a friend. You're not just a servant. You're also now a child. And that's why Mary has to let go of Jesus. Because others need to hear. Earlier on in John's Gospel, John 16, 7, Jesus has said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is good that I'm going away. How is it good, Jesus, you're going away? Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus had to let go of Jesus so Jesus can send the Holy Spirit on the church. Jesus is saying to Mary, what you are experiencing now in the Garden of Spices, as I complete and ravish your heart, I want millions and billions of people throughout history to experience. You must let go of me. I've got to ascend. I've got to send my spirit. And then millions can encounter what you're encountering now. It is good that I'm going away. And so Jesus comes to us this Easter with three questions. Did you see the three questions? Well, I'm putting them in the passage. Why are you running around in panic? It's all okay. He's been raised. Death is defeated. He's got it all under control. Trust him. He's the ris- you run around in panic and you just, he says, there's, there's, there's folded grave clothes. I've got it all under control. What, stop, what makes you run around in panic? It's okay. Jesus is risen. The second question he comes to you is, why are you crying? And you have to let him in. You have to answer him. This is what, these are the hurts, Jesus. I haven't told anyone. Or I feel fearful to tell someone. Let him in. He's the gardener. He wants to soften your heart. Running around won't help. It won't take away the fears. It won't deal with the hurt. Let him in. And the third, why are you running around in a panic? Why are you crying? And who is it you're looking for? There's no earthly relationship, no earthly experience. There's nothing in this world that will ravish you, satisfy you, complete you. But your heart does need completing. There's only one person. It's the risen Lord of history. Stop looking elsewhere. He calls your name. So this Easter, I I want to suggest three responses. For some of you, you need to grab hold of him like Mary did. You actually need to do it. Some of you have said, yeah, like Stephen's story, like I did. I kind of did grab hold of him and then I drifted and... Grab hold of me. If you're a Christian today and you know you're drifting, you know you've started to find Jesus just a bit, uh, or maybe the pain, or maybe the panic, or maybe, maybe an earthly relationship has stopped you looking to him to complete you, and you've started to look to this other relationship. Grab hold of him afresh this Easter. Come to him. Repent, believe, and grab hold of him. Let him deal with your fears and your hurts and your desire for completion. But maybe you've never grabbed hold of Jesus. Maybe like Stephen, you grew up and maybe you know the stories or maybe you've just, you'll come this Easter because you heard a Christian celebrate and you're here today. Thank you for coming. Grab hold of him. Why wouldn't you? If Jesus really died for your sins, rose again, has defeated death, has ascended to heaven, is going to come back, is the one that can deal with all your fears and all your hurts and can complete you, why wouldn't you want to give yourself to him? Are you going to find anyone else like him? Grab hold of him. Come speak to me afterwards. You need to repent of your sin, believe in him, put your trust in him, and receive eternal life. Do that today. I'd love to speak to you and pray with you. Grab hold of him. The second thing I want to say to you is go and tell. Jesus isn't for keeping. 
This is the greatest news in the world. Jesus commissions Mary on that. The first eyewitness is, is Mary Magdalene. It's extraordinary. But yet he commissions all of us afresh. Go and tell. This is the best news ever. Our, our, our world knows nothing of this kind of good news. There's nothing our world can... Go and tell. Here afresh the message to go to your family, your friends, your colleagues. Hear the commissioning of Jesus at Easter to go and tell. But some of you may go, no, I'm not ready to grab hold. And so I can't go and tell. What do I do? Come and explore. That's why we've got a book for you. We've got a book called Easter Unbelie- Is Easter Unbelievable? And in this book, Re- Rebecca McLaughlin's going to take you through some of the reasons why you might be going, I'm not sure I can believe that someone would rise from the dead. And is Jesus' life historical? Is Jesus' death ethical? Is Jesus' resurrection credible? Is Jesus' offer desirable? Take the book away. Have a read. You should want it to be true. You should want it to be true. Now go and find out if it is. And I'd love to speak to you at the end about some of the reasons why I think the resurrection is true. So let's take a moment to pause. Are you going to grab hold of him? Are you going to feel a fresh commission to go and tell? Or are you going to come and explore some more? Those three questions. Why are you running around in a panic? What are you crying about? Why are you crying? And who are you looking for? Oh, Lord Jesus, we see in this passage just who you are. You're the great Lord of history. You're the the one who conquers death. Uh, And we thank you for that. But we also see you're the gardener, that you've come back into our lives to, to be at work in our hearts, like a gardener is at work in soil, softening them, breaking in, bringing new life. And you're also the shepherd who calls us by name and calls us back into the sheep pen. I I pray for us all here today. We'd know how to respond to those three questions. Pray for those of us that are running around and we're panicky. And even if on the outside we look good, inside we can feel the panic. May your resurrection today reassure us that it's going to be okay. We pray for those of us that uh, are crying and we've got hurts done to us or we've we've done things that are a bruising in our life and we've put walls up. We pray, Lord that you'd come through today, break those walls down and speak tenderly to us. And we pray for those of us that are looking elsewhere for that completion and that satisfaction that this Easter we'd, we'd remember again that it's only in you that we are complete. So we grab hold of you. We hear the commission to go and tell. And for those of us that aren't sure, we pray you'd help them to keep exploring and discovering who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.